Look at my butt. Show number 284 of Look at His Butt, LT and JK Talk Trek. So listeners, it's December now. It's past the Thanksgiving time and we're rapidly rolling into the Christmas season, if that's a holiday that you celebrate. It's Shatmas. <laughs> You are correct. It is Shatmas. It is uh, a happy and hopefully healthy Shatmas for most of our listeners. That's what we hope for you all. I have um, a request, too. Yes. Some of our listeners, or many of them, are very clever at, you know, doing things and making things and artsy, craftsy things. I want someone to make a um, nativity scene um, using one of the, the, the Bill dolls. At, to be in the uh, the hay or whatever. <laughs> that would have to be a really big manger. That's okay. Okay. All right. Well, I'm sure someone could do it. That would be good. And even if they're good at manipulating, you know, Photoshop or something, you don't have to build a real one. Who do you want to be like the little holy family surrounding them? Mm. Any, any thoughts? Well, obviously Marjorie uh-huh. as Mary. Mm-hmm. Um, and... um. Obviously, his his father is Joseph. Okay. Uh, let's see. Who else have we got? We've got an angel. <laughs> who is angelic in Star Trek? Uh, it could be Ahura. She'd make a good angel. Yeah, that's true. That's very true. I'd like that. And the wise men, of course, would be Spock, LaCoy, and <laughs> Scotchy, I guess. <laughs> the wise men, yes. Yeah, those would be the wise men. And, um... Shepherds would be um, Sulu and Chekhov. Yep, that's good. And the the sheep would be Tame Mugatu. <laughs> what other animals are there? Oh, how about the dog that got split into two? Oh, absolutely. That yeah. poor thing. Yeah, mm-hmm. he can be there too. Yeah. Okay. I like that. That's very good. Yeah. That, that seems a well-rounded kind of nativity scene. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it would be really good if Kirk in the manger was holding a bottle of Saurian brandy also. <laughs> sort of make it a party. A real yeah. party. Yeah. And actually, maybe he's, he's you know, he's full-size adult Kirk. Maybe he's just sitting in the manger drinking his yeah. Saurian brandy. Uh-huh. I like that. That's yeah. very good. Okay. That's very good. Well, there we go. Homework okay. for people. This is a great way to get this show off. Totally off track. Um, <laughs> We're so good at that. <laughs> anyway, uh, let's talk about some stuff that's happened recently. So yesterday, Bill was in another GalaxyCon, his uh, once-monthly GalaxyCons that he mm-hmm. does now. And he was featured with Kate Mulgrew. Right. And the two of them were having a great conversation. So I took some notes and there are some very interesting things that happened. And also big shout out to Patty Hawkins, who is such a good moderator. I Mm -hmm. love him. He's really good. So Kate Mulgrew, this was the first time she'd done one of these and she was very good. I was a little Uh worried when she said, oh, this is the first one that, because you know, it's not quite the same as doing it in front of a crowd of people and I know she's done tons of conventions but she was really really good uh, and also she's let her hair grow out and she looks so nice with beautiful I natural she hair really good yes so that was awesome I'm, I'm a big fan of people letting themselves be natural in mm-hmm. this, this time of COVID haircuts um, Bill also looked really good I think he got a haircut or something but mm-hmm. looked great 
they talked so in depth about a lot of really philosophical things. There were some stupid questions, but they turned them into really deep discussions, which was great. I, I think, you know, she is not like the TNG crew, you know, not everything is banter and making jokes. Mm-hmm. She, she is very much on the let's get into the heart of the matter kind of thing and asking these deep questions. And Bill was totally up for it, although he did dodge one of her questions at one point, which was also good. There's a, I'll, I'll talk about this in a second, but there's a part where the question really showed what different people they are in a, in mm-hmm. a very cool kind of way. So they talked about um, acting, which is always great to hear mm-hmm. each of them talk about what they do. Bill said that one of the things that he continues to do as an actor is to simplify and to get rid of details and to just really focus on for him what's the heart of the matter so his whole acting career has been trying to make things more simple over time more and Mulger wow. yeah focus Mulger said it was just the opposite for her she said <laughs> I have to pay attention to every detail that's what really makes a character come out and obviously it works for both of them yeah yeah at one point when Bill was talking about how this carries over into other aspects of his life, like riding horses, he said, while we've been in quarantine, Elizabeth is just becoming a better and better chef because she's focusing on the simple things. Well. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, then. I guess you're still living together as a couple, even though you're, quote, not married anymore. And that was it. Mm -hmm. He didn't say anything else about it. Nobody questioned him. There weren't people in the chat kind of, jumping on that but it's amazing to me so yeah there we go um wow <laughs> yeah i know he just he just dropped that into the conversation yeah he's just comfortable with it now you know yeah um and that relates to the article that you mentioned that was in a british newspaper a couple of weeks ago where some paparazzi had taken photos of uh, bill and elizabeth riding their horses together and it was very stupidly phrased, like Bill Shatner with with lookalike woman that's like his wife. It's like, why are you saying lookalike? It's obviously her. Well, yes. <laughs> they were just trying to make it really sensational. Whereas to me, as a Bill fan, um, it didn't need to be puffed up. Just mm-hmm. you know, to to see pictures, actual pictures of them together at this time, you know, was kind of supporting our theory about, you know, what's going on and that there was a, not, none of the usual reasons for a divorce. I really Mm -hmm. do think it it was all financial. But in that article, I think it was, it said Shatner is reputedly or something worth a hundred million dollars and she got two million. And I thought, Mm -hmm. They've been married like 10 years and that's all she yeah. got. But she did get a couple of houses and, you know. And horses. Yeah. Yeah. That, horses. You know, and yeah. um, he, I understand, had a really ironclad prenup, so. Mm-hmm. And plus, since they're still living together, she's getting to enjoy the lifestyle to which she is accustomed. So and yes, that is true. Her life hasn't changed at all, basically. Mm-hmm. So, I don't know. It's so weird. But anyway, I wanted to mention that he said that, and then he did not mention her again. Um, yeah. He, here is one thing that I, I thought was interesting. Someone asked the two of them, uh, what makes what are the qualities of a good captain? 
Oh, okay. And, and Mulgrew said, uh, honesty, empathy, wit, being fast on your feet, and having a lot of love for your crew, which I thought were all really good answers. And of course, that brought me back to the terrible movies that we dislike so much. And we've said it in other words, but she really captured it. What Chris Pine's Kirk lacks completely mm-hmm. in any of those movies is empathy, right? Mm-hmm. He has no empathy for anyone at any time. Well, and, and actually, that's... I think everybody lacks that in those movies. It's true, but him more than anyone else. Yeah, yeah. Um, now, Bill, his answer to that question was, to be a captain, you have to have passion. Of course. Of course. He to say that. And then he somehow segued into talking about Hitler and saying that, uh, you know, Hitler was a leader because he had a lot of passion, even though all the things that he was saying were lies and stupid. Mm-hmm. And people will follow passion, even if it's in the service of terrible, terrible things. Yes. Which is also true. Yes, that so, is true. Uh, here's the part that I thought was really interesting. Oh, there's one other thing that's good, too. That's so, Bill. The question was, uh, as we've heard them talk about before, you know, who inspired you as an actor? Who did you learn from? And Bill was saying not really anybody because he felt like he had to kind of learn it all. He didn't have teachers, whereas Mulgrew, by contrast, went Mm -hmm. and studied with Stella Adler. So she was totally like method acting taking classes which i don't think bill's ever taken an acting class in his life right i don't think he has done it yeah uh so then they were asked well what kind of advice would you give to young actors and bill's answer as we've heard him say before was go learn how to do something else because it's very hard to make a living as an actor Mm -hmm. and mulgrew was saying while that's true if you want to succeed as an actor, you really have to make it your priority. You can't do it as a hobby because it requires this dedication. So they talked, it was really good. They talked a lot about this conundrum, right? Like if you Mm -hmm. want to make it, you have to devote your life to it. But on the other hand, how many people actually make it? So it's really good to have skills to fall back on to actually feed yourself And Mm -hmm. if you're doing those other skills, then it's taking away the time that maybe you should be devoting to being an actor and going on auditions and all that. So, you know, but Bill kept stressing that it's for him and what he tells people all the time is so few people are able to support themselves as actors. And you can just take your whole life, as he said, literally, you turn 30 or you turn 40 And you're not as young as you were and you're not as attractive as you were as an actor. And you look around and you go, I really wish I had a house to live in. (laughs) I I really wish that I had time to have a family. And I really wish I had a way to support myself and eat regularly. And then what do you do when you're 40 years old and that happens? And boy, that felt like it came from his heart. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. Well, you know, I was um, in a play once in San Francisco, and the director was, you know, a, a real professional, and he had directed in many places, many shows. You know, he knew his business. And um, we had a, we all went out for drinks one night, and one of the guys was in the show as the director. So, um, do you think if I went to New York that I could could make it, you know, could work? And the director said, I can't tell you that. That would be just my opinion, and Mm. that's worth nothing. And it really is a leap of faith. Mm -hmm. 
And I was thinking, and if you are asking that question, you're not ready for that leap. <laughs> yeah. You, you're wanting someone to give you a push of faith. Right, right. Totally. Yeah, that's for real. I think that's what people are looking for when they ask Bill questions like that. Honestly, mm-hmm. For him to reassure them and go, yes, of course you will. Just believe in yourself and it will yes. happen. And, yes, it will happen. It must. And he's not having that, which mm-hmm. I think is, is really good. The question she asked him, which he didn't answer, was... Do you think once you are an actor like you, Bill, who's done everything and, and been in all these things and kind of fulfilled your ambitions, do you stay in the acting game until you die? Ooh. And he didn't answer that. He just hmm. sidestepped it completely. And I know he heard what she was saying, but he didn't answer and she didn't press him on it anymore. Huh. So that was kind of kind of interesting. Um, what else? Okay. This was a great question. Someone said what are your favorite desserts? <laughs> oh, <laughs> that's a really good question. Yes. And she said dark chocolate sprinkled with sea salt. Good answer. Mm-hmm. And Bill brought it back around to the simplicity. And he said, as I've gotten older, I really want simple things. And then he got into this amazing discussion. He said, a crisp apple where you just bite into it and it pops and you can just taste it. And then he told this story about driving through Canada and stopping at an orchard and eating this amazing Macintosh apple that he remembers, you know, whatever, <laughs> 60 years later and how great it was. A plum that's just beautiful and ready to burst with juice. A carrot that you pull out of the ground and you bite into it and it's the sound of a crisp carrot. <laughs> It was amazing just oh, hearing boy. him rhapsodizing about fruit and vegetables and carrots <laughs> was fantastic so that was all really good he told the story i wanted to ask you whether you'd heard him or, or read about him telling this story uh he said when he was in london he was doing his one-man show just before the pandemic. yes i heard him tell that yeah yeah and that somebody some asshole came up to him after the show and was coughing on him like deliberately deliberately coughing on him yeah i had never oh. heard that part of it i've heard he was there doing a show yeah. and the next day was when they shut all the theaters that's right but but uh, i had never heard this but i have heard about other people doing things like that to oh. just strangers you know what a thing like what kind of dipshit does something like that you know i don't know but i think like a good 47 percent of our population is dipshits oh. <laughs> just made me so angry just to think of a person you know you go up to somebody and you're deliberately coughing and spitting on them as mm-hmm. like what a joke that's supposed to be funny yeah awful. ugh so that was awful um and then finally they did some shilling at the end bill talked <laughs> yes. about of course the the new album, which is called Love, Death, and Horses, which is going to be out in 2021. And then he said he's going to be in a new police show. I know. That was like at the very end. He just sort of dropped that. You know? So I don't know anything about that, whether it's a Canadian show or an American show. But, I have um, no idea. Maybe that's his once yearly contribution to Canadian television. Maybe so. what he seems to be doing. So all in all, it was cool. Bill was funny. Kate was very good. The two of them talking together was a totally different vibe from him and the TNG crew. And I really mm-hmm. liked it. So again, guys, they're free. Just all yeah. you have to do is give them your email address. And it's really worth it for an hour on a Saturday morning to hear them just yakking about stuff. Really, really worth it. I think those should come with a warning, though, that these people, you know, are doing this and 
they are, you know, Patty is um, filtering the questions. Yeah. And I think he's been told they don't want to be asked what is your favorite episode, oh, no matter yeah. how many times you type it in. Mm-hmm. Um, so they're really, depending on, on who the participants are, may not be much or may not be anything about Star Trek. Yep. So yeah. if you don't want to hear these people talk about uh, politics or their lives now or philosophy or just tell funny stories, you probably, you know, it doesn't cost you anything, but you could just tune out. Yep, exactly. It, it's true. Looking at the chat that's scrolling by, people just ask the same questions that they mm-hmm. always get asked, and I'm so glad that they don't take the time to go through them because oh, it would I know. be awful. Yeah, they're going, get off the politics, talk about Star Trek, what's yeah. your favorite episode? It's like, <sighs> I think no next time I'm going to type in, what's your most hated episode? <laughs> the one you went home and cried into your pillow over. Really? <laughs> so, that was good. All right, moving on. Okay. Let's let's talk about uh, let's talk about Lower Decks, our yes. other favorite Star Trek show. Yes, just yesterday an article popped up with a, an update on Lower Decks, and as you know, we love Lower Decks, yes. so um, we hope you do too. But Mike McMahon, I believe, is the showrunner. He he um, he talked about the progress of uh, season two and he said I could tell you right now we are so deep in production not only is it all written but I've got episode 209 to watch over this week in animatic format and now we have already sent the first four episodes to the coloring departments so what can we expect next season some familiar faces and races will appear, mm-hmm. including Jonathan Frakes and the pack, the pack led seed, seen in season one's No Small Parts. Mm-hmm. There will also be a new head of security for season two. He wouldn't say who it was or who's voicing them. He says, I'm just really excited for everyone to see who it is. I'm really proud of everything we did with the character there. Uh, We can expect to see more of Tendi and Rutherford. And he says, there are four leads instead of two leads and two sidekicks. Um, In the second season, because we weren't having to explain what the show was to ourselves or to an audience, you get some really fun Dr. Tiana episodes. He was very surprised at how long it took them to get the international distribution settled. But... um, because outside the U.S., nobody has seen even season one. And he said there should be some news about it fairly fairly soon, but he's not in charge of that. He said, we totally hear you. We are desperately working on it, and we are completely invested in getting Mm -hmm. it done. So I'd say that is all good news. Oh, I can't wait. It's so good. It's so amazingly good. I'm very, very excited for that. I know. I know. Yeah, it's... uh, it's outstanding so yeah yeah. cool well uh, we've got that to look forward to we've got a continuing discovery that's happening it's about halfway through the season Mm -hmm. um eventually there's going to be some picard and then eventually strange new world so there's a lot of star trek on the horizon well i just have to say right now the one i'm the most grateful for is Lower Decks, because it's animated. (laughs) So so they can keep doing it through the pandemic without endangering 
actors, writers, all the, you know, the people who work on it can work solo in their safe homes. Yes. And uh, because if it weren't for that, we'd just be sitting here going, no new Star Trek. Oh, really? Yes, I agree. I'm I'm so happy. You know, I, I'm a Doctor Who fan. So are you. Yes. And Doctor Who, in addition to the TV show, has this whole other side business of doing audio drama they've been doing for a while and it's, and it's through a company called big finish and they've gotten just about everybody who's still alive to come back and, and do the voices and it's cool like i really appreciate it and it's what's kept this the doctor who thing going all these mm-hmm. years you know because the, there aren't that many shows and of course they've had the problems with the pandemic and all that but you know it's not the same <laughs> like I like audio dramas I do but it, just listening to the people doing it and all that I'd, I'd rather have an animated series than just a bunch of audio dramas so I'm, I'm kind of glad that they didn't go that way for Star Trek because I think it would have been very very unsatisfying well, you know, if I still had a car and was driving places, that would appeal because mm-hmm. I really enjoyed radio <laughs> in the <Yeah>. car. <laughs> um, but, you know, to have that going here, where <laughs> it's just not, not the same. No, it's not the same. And, and plus, it's different. Like an audio drama, you kind of have to pay attention to what's going on. So you can't do it while you're really doing other stuff like you can listen to it while you're doing the dishes i suppose but you know if you're actually trying to make your mind do a different thing you cannot follow the plot and the names and all the rest of it and i don't have all that time to sit around just Mm -hmm. sitting there like knitting or something and listening to it (laughs) yeah Anyway, uh, let's move on to the next thing, which is this article you found about J. Michael Straczynski's Star Trek reboot that never happened, which never I happened. knew nothing about. Me so neither. Tell us. Tell us. Okay. Um, let's see. Uh, we all know in 2009, J.J. Uh, made his version. But prior to that, in 2004, Babylon 5 creator J. Michael Straczynski had proposed a not too dissimilar reboot to the franchise that unfortunately never took off. Mm-hmm. And um, he collaborated with Bryce Zabel, mm-hmm. who has been associated with Dark Skies, The Crow, and The Crow. Um, they put together a proposal for a new Trek series. They noted that the franchise had grown stagnant and lost its spirit of adventure. Thus, their idea, like Abrams, was to go back to the beginning and start all over again, but not by creating an alternate timeline, just reimagining the show from the start, sort of like what Moore did with Battlestar Galactica, although not as drastic a change. They would return to the early days of Kirk, Spock, and McCoy, warrior, priest, doctor, as the proposal dubs them, and find out how they got started in their careers in Starfleet, how Kirk became the youngest captain, how he was awarded the fleet's flagship, which it was not the flagship in TOS. But anyway, (laughs) now this is where it begins to diverge from J.J. Abrams. Uh, Straczynski would build in a five-year story arc for the Mm. season. This, of course, fits seamlessly with the series, seeing as the Enterprise was originally on a five-year mission. But he added a specific purpose to this mission um, and why they were so 
far off in deep space away from home base. It involved the discovery of the existence of a lost race that may have had a hand in the origins of many of the intelligent species across the galaxy, hmm. including humans, Vulcans, and Klingons. The Enterprise would be secretly tasked with uncovering more information about this lost race, which would eventually lead to the entanglement with forces of darkness, who mm. may view our activities with more than a little hostility. Hmm. It would have had its share of standalone episodes go along with this arc, and the proposal suggests that just like the original shows, well-known science fiction authors would be brought in to pen these episodes. Um, in addition, the other familiar characters, such as Uhura, Scotty, Sula, blah, 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 would return, and all of the principal roles would be portrayed by new actors. So, uh, let's see, what else does it say? But it would have broken from the canon established by the series that preceded it, and would no longer have that baggage weighing it down. The proposal <laughs> does take, I love this, a bit of a dig at the excessive use of the holodeck on TNG, DS9, and Voyager with this comment. The original Enterprise never needed a holodeck so that the characters could have exciting adventures because there were more than enough adventures, more than enough excitement to be found in the real world they occupied every day. If you need a holodeck to make an interstellar starship on the bleeding edge of the unknown interesting, something is seriously <laughs> amiss. Uh-huh, uh-huh, sure. Yep, I'd go along with that. <laughs> right, and unfortunately nothing ever came of this. The proposal was posted on the internet previously, but has since been taken down, likely for copyright reasons. Mm -hmm. So, um, I don't know if I like the five-year-long arc yeah. idea. Um, that seems overly complicated. Well, yeah. Uh, and also, I mean, if he's saying a five-year arc, like okay, they're going to take five years to tell the story. Mm -hmm. By the time you get to the end of the five years, I don't know, man, if that's how long you have to wait for the resolution mm -hmm. to whatever the story arc is, it's just, I, I question that. Uh, how close is it going to be to the original conception? And aren't people going to be really frustrated to wait five years to find out what happened? Well, know. and my problem with anything that has a long arc when they're telling you this, it's going to be three years and we're guaranteed. Um, once the show is on and they see what people are reacting to, they throw that right out the window sure, so they can yes. focus on this character, this uh -huh. aspect. And so, like with Lost, mm -hmm. I watched the first episode and I was not interested, but also I had absolutely no faith that that was ever going to resolve. Because mm -hmm. they, and the, uh, the writers and uh, showrunner and everything have since said, neither did they. They just mm -hmm. kept throwing things at the wall. Yeah, and you can tell, right? Oh, Stuff yeah. just doesn't make sense, and uh, you can't predict where things are going, and then mm -hmm. it, it becomes, like, great. It's just magic at this point, and nobody cares about any consistency. I hate that. I hate when they do that. Mm-hmm. <sighs> well, that is very, very cool article, and thanks for finding that, because I had no idea about I that. I had never heard of this. You, you hear about other people's, you know, coming up with ideas, and also speaking of uh, things going on, the uh, a new JJ movie mm -hmm. has definitely been shut down. Yeah. You yeah. know, there was a big shake-up shake at Paramount, and the person who's in charge now just did 
had no interest in doing Star Trek anymore. And that was the one, apparently, that Noah Hawley was going to direct based mm-hmm. on a story by him. And according to him, they were really close to going into production. Mm. So I'm sure that was very, very disappointing. Yeah. Stick with TV, guys, really. It's the way to go on this stuff. <laughs> I'm telling you, it's just better. It's just better. Uh, okay. Before we take a break, we have one more newsy thing, which I think you guys might have seen. Um, remember Peter Shatner? Remember oh, yes. <laughs> the man who has spent the last 10 or so years of his life ranting to anybody that he knows that Bill is his dad and mm-hmm. uh, lawsuits and changed his name to Peter Shatner from Peter Sloan and just wrote a whole book about his journey and all the rest of that stuff. Well, guess what? Bill's not his dad. <laughs> no. No. He did a DNA test and he did not get Bill's DNA, which he had been trying to for a long time. That was his uh, reason for all of this was like, I want Bill Shatner to take a DNA test to prove that I'm his kid. But he didn't. He just uploaded his DNA into one of the ancestry sites and found out who his real dad was. And it's not William Shatner. Right. The way he did this without Bill's DNA is when you do that, um, you will get... Um, references back, mm-hmm. did you know you have second cousin in that's Sweden right. and that yeah. sort of thing? And so nobody with any relation to Bill at all came up. He found his half-sibling. Yeah. The interesting thing of this article, so this is in the Tampa Bay Times, and that's where he lives, so it's sort right, of a, right, a local yes. thing. Nowhere in here does he apologize? <laughs> Or, or say I was wrong or anything like that because this was such a crusade. I was following him on Facebook for a while. I think I finally unfriended him. But even in this past year, he was being really obsessively mean about it. He got very obnoxious. Like basically t- saying that Bill was a... Um, you know, a bully and and irresponsible and saying all kinds of terrible things and implying that he had some kind of secret information that he was going to release that was going to blow this thing wide open. And it was like, it was just all a bunch of nonsense. And, you know, he just was very public about the fact that he was going to be vindicated in the end. And even though he didn't really want money from Bill Shore, you know, he just wanted to be acknowledged as his son. And in this article, None of that comes through, and he doesn't say, I was an ass about this. Right. And also, even from the early days, uh, you know, to reveal these things about his own mother. Yeah. You know, that she was sleeping with different guys and having a good time. And, you know, to me, that's fine. But I really don't want to know my own mother's <laughs> sexual yeah. ass. Exactly. You know, but this, this was all grist for his mill. Oh, awful. So here's what the article says. It is upsetting, he said, that he will never meet his birth father who passed away in 2001. Lucky I will never, him. Yeah, I will <laughs> never have the opportunity to sit and talk with him. I just wanted to know where I came from. And then he says, this, this is also why he's, in this article, they still call him Shatner. Mm-hmm. 
and I want to call him Sloan to not to confuse him with actual Shatner. Okay. Um, this is why Sloan said he is not embarrassed by his pursuit of a DNA test from William Shatner that in recent years made headlines around the world, quote, it was never about wanting his money. And I always made it clear I would renounce any inheritance in exchange for a DNA test. If you are not adopted, you could never understand. I had to know who I am. You're a jerk. You're a jerk. And <laughs> I think, you know, you were told that you weren't the son of William Shatner. Uh, Shatner denied that he met Sloan and um, denied being the dad. And uh, I think, you know, he and uh, Sloan's mother were together in like one thing, I think, that they did. Mm -hmm. So he knew her and maybe he slept with her, but certainly he denied all along that he was this guy's dad and you know to be honest knowing bill i think he would have admitted if he was you know well here's the thing um this woman had a baby and according to sloan she during the time when she would have gotten pregnant with that baby she slept with two men yeah and one was william shatner but since it was another man bill could not know Unless he took the DNA test. Yeah, yeah. So Bill could keep saying, I'm not your father, but, you know, chances were 50-50 that he was. Yeah. But still, this guy was such a jerk about it. And, you know, those 23andMe and all those different um, DNA testing places, they have been doing this for a long time now. Why didn't he Mm -hmm. just do that earlier? Mm -hmm. Uh, Because he's too stupid to do research? Yeah. His, obviously... Everything that Bill was doing and saying was based on what his lawyers were telling him. Oh, yes, of course. Which was the very, very smart thing to do. But Mm -hmm. it's a a story that ends with not a bang, but a whimper. So there you go. That's the end of the story. And hopefully we'll never hear from him again. Bye-bye, Peter (laughs) Soon. (laughs) Bye-bye. Oh, my goodness. Okay, let's take a little break. Okay. And then we're going to come back and we're going to talk uh, a bit about Discovery. And then we also have a couple of other newsy things to do. Okay, we'll, we'll be, be right back. Right back. Space, a final frontier. These are the voyages of the starship enterprise its five-year mission to explore strange new worlds to seek out new life and new civilizations to boldly go where no man has gone before listeners we would love to hear from you send us email at look at his butt at gmail.com or look us up on facebook and leave us a comment tell us your trek news We are back. Do you know, I have seen in so many of the Star Trek Facebook groups that I'm in, because I'm in like three of them, people keep posting a picture of a Christmas wreath with Khan's face in the middle, and they're calling it the wreath of Khan. And I've seen that like 10 times in the last two days, and I'm getting really annoyed at people. Stop posting it. If you're posting it, stop it. It's not funny. 
It wasn't even funny or clever the first time you saw it, was it? It was not. It, it was just <laughs> like, oh, really? Okay. So uh, moving on to other Wrath of Khan stuff. Yes. This is this is another thing that I didn't know. So let's talk about it. I didn't it. know this one either. And this was in or on uh, Red Shirts Always Die, an excellent site. Yeah. Um one of the it's about one of the concerns they they had originally before, apparently before they were filming was that Khan and Kirk never met face to face, which actually is one of the coolest things about the movie. Mm-hmm. Audiences loved it. But um, it all took place at a distance from one another. So the powers that be put their heads together and came up with what would have been an awesome battle scene. They also gave Khan a weapon that would have turned the odds in his favor, at least for a little while. The villain of all villains was going to be given a metallic whip that could morph into various Ugh. forms, including a lion's head, an eagle's claw, and a snake, to name a few. Every time Khan would have cracked the whip, it would have ripped into Kirk's flesh. So each time, Kirk wouldn't know what type of animal or monster was going to take a bite out of him. So a tortured and bloodied Kirk would have had to fight dirty to take the whip away from his nemesis. How he would have managed this is anybody's guess. <laughs> Lots of Kirk foo. Of course, yeah. Kirk has managed to fight dirty many, many times. You know, maybe the, with the double fist, Haya might have uh, <laughs> might have done that. And then with the weapon gone, the two would have engaged in lethal hand-to-hand combat. And there's no doubt as to who would have been successful, but this would have been an incredible fight to see. Luckily, they're saying alas, I'm saying luckily, (laughs) the film's budgetary restraints prevented this twist from going forward. They simply did not have the money to shoot it. Afterwards, William Shatner admitted he was still somewhat disappointed that the scene was jettisoned. Because of course he was. Uh, Well, and he wanted it to change into a tiger that he would wrestle. Exactly. I was just going to say that. So, yes, that is correct. That was the equivalent of wrestling I think that sounds like an awful idea. And I really think... You know, uh, Wrath of Khan is the best of the movies, mm-hmm. and it still would have been the best of the movies, but that would have taken away from it yes. by putting it into almost a cartoonish thing. Completely agree. Hard agree. Uh, as you were reading this and it got to the line, this would have been an incredible fight to see. My response is, would it? Really? Yeah. <laughs> I don't think it would have. You know, it kind of gets back to what Bill was saying uh, yesterday about making things simpler Mm -hmm. this is too complicated you already have a story that has a really good clear strong story arc and this would have just cluttered it up with something stupid and irrelevant and took away from the the inevitable sort of greek tragedy procession of story that happens in this movie well you know and i was thinking the other night about the um the movies with the original cast i think one of the great things about almost every one of them is that despite now being movies and now having the budget and blah, 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 they were still about those people. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I think a lot of uh, sci-fi movies just, I don't know, it was like when the audience comes in, it should have a sign that says, 
bring your own empathy and characterization because we're just showing, you know, shoot-ups and, and chases. Really, yeah. So, yeah, I'm really glad they did not do that. I thought the, the t- it would have broken the tension of what we had going on. Yeah, yeah, completely. Because it was moving at this really good pace, mm-hmm. you know, a, a, a measured but exciting, you know, tense pace. And all of a sudden, we're going to have this magic whip. Oh, no. It would have been distracting and mm-hmm. completely unnecessary, you know? Yep. Follow Bill's advice. Make things simple. Just yep. simplify. Focus, simplify. focus. What focus. do we really need here? Yeah. Yeah. Just Think about that carrot that you just pulled out of the ground. Oh, God, I want a good fresh carrot. <laughs> oh, I wish I'd recorded that. Just the <laughs> delivery of that was so funny. So, so Bill, cool. I can hear it. <laughs> He's raps- rhapsodizing about an apple that he ate 60 years ago. Yep. Anyway, uh, so okay, so... Thank you. That was good. That was really good. Let's talk a bit about discovery. Um, because okay. you know what? I think that's very relevant to this discussion that we were just having about things getting too complicated. Oh, so yeah. We're going to talk a little bit about the two most recent episodes that we watched. Mm-hmm. The first was Scavengers and the second was Unification 3. So, Oh, you haven't sca- watched the, the newest one then? Yet. I have not. No. Oh, okay. I'll stay. I'll stay up stay out of that part of it so the scavengers episode which is where they had to go rescue book Mm -hmm. i i thought that was a great episode it was a very star trek episode it had a beginning a middle and an end the good guys won in the end it was by doing the right thing you know they did the right thing people were empowered you know the 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 whole point was that book was on sort of this not slave planet exactly but you know he, yeah. he was <laughs> it was a slave planet to, yeah, yeah you know being forced to do work and uh burnham and georgia show up and help free them really it's the the slaves the enslaved mm-hmm. people there who freed themselves because that was awesome like they weren't just people who needed saving they had a plan they had an opportunity they executed it and everybody mm-hmm. worked together to make things better in the end so that was great and it was very you know action packedy and then there was some cool tech stuff that happened and i just thought that was a great star trek episode yeah it really you know held your attention and um i didn't find myself going why you know mm-hmm. because it was moving along and it was showing me why and how and so yeah. that was that was very good and then we got a little more Giorgio weirdness happening which is going to be resolved soon I guess but uh, that was also interesting that she's having these flashbacks and it's causing her to lose control and mm-hmm. who knows what that all means but we'll find out soon so then we got the following episode called Unification 3 which made me sort of unreasonably excited when I saw the title of it mm-hmm. because I had actually just watched Unification 1 and 2 the TNG episodes that mm-hmm. were on regular television and I was like this is amazing that they just happened to show them. And I had forgotten that uh, Mark Leonard was in the first part of that as Sarek, the last time he played Sarek. And right. he, he was so good. Oh, oh yes. man, he was good. You know, as a, a character that we've known and loved over so many years to see him suffering from this, this terrible illness, but yet being him mm-hmm. when he sort of recognizes Picard and you know, is talking about the situation with the Romulans and Spock. Oh, man, he's so good. 
Yep. So I thought, well, this is great. It's going to be interesting and fun, and we're going to get to see what happened to the Vulcans and the Romulans. And you know what? I was really disappointed. Uh, yeah, I found most of that, um, yeah, disappointing is the word. And also because the the execution of the the story, and I think you know what I'm going to say, which is, they kept bringing up Spock so reverently. Oh, yeah. And it, it really got tiresome. And they were saying things mm-hmm. like the teachings of Spock. And yeah. I was going, wait, was he this, um, I don't know, this, this teacher, this messiah, this mentor? The last we knew of him was that, you know, he was trying to help the Vulcans and Romulans reunite. Mm-hmm. But he wasn't telling people, follow me, this is the way, you know, the way of Spock to do this. You know, it's like, yeah. please get over yourselves. He, he was not a teacher in that way. Mm-hmm. He, was, he was not a philosopher king. You know, he wasn't Surak. He wasn't the guy who founded Vulcan society. He was just a guy who was an ambassador who did, he went into his father's business and you know he had this mission where he was trying to to bring those two races mm-hmm. together and when would he have time to teach like what are these teachings of what they're talking about yeah you know, he, he was he had a job he was an ambassador and then he disappeared <laughs> and that was the last that most people heard about him was that he went to romulus and that's where he stayed until he tried to save their planet mm-hmm. from being destroyed um and then got booted into a jj abrams movie poor guy but he he wasn't doing Socratic question and answer right. stuff in the meantime, so it's just it's very weird well, that they would say that. The uh. only reason I can really come up with that in which this might make some sort of sense is it's been a thousand years, right, or two thousand, mm-hmm. three thousand. It's well, been a long time. Uh, yeah, a long time. Yeah. Okay, and so perceptions change. I can imagine the Vulcans who are you know the whole. What was the Federation ha- has changed, and it's it's a dump now. <laughs> you know, Betty Davis walked in and go, "This Federation mm-hmm. is a dump." A so they would dump. be more nostalgic for a time yeah, yeah. when things were better for Vulcan and for a lot of people in general. But I also think of like Richard the Third, mm-hmm. who most people think, "Oh, horrible, bad Richard the Third," and it's because Shakespeare wrote that play. <laughs> yes. And it's quite possible that somebody said, oh, I'm going to make a movie or whatever they had about this Spock guy because we're in danger of forgetting our history. That's but true. to make it interesting, <laughs> yeah. they made it into Thus Saith Spock, you know. That's true. That's I mean, really that could have happened, but I, you know, we're all supposed to regard the Vulcans as so intelligent and so logical. I would think a, a great number of them would have, you know, looked looked it up in the records of the before time and said, no, that that wasn't how Spock was, and yeah. we're not going to allow this to be taught in our schools or whatever. Exactly. So, so yes, I, th- that's a really, I hadn't thought about it, but you're right, and I think that's probably part of it was that there was a lot of, uh, what's it called, hagiography that was going on, you know, mm-hmm. like elevating him into sainthood status, but right. the Vulcans certainly wouldn't have bought into that because that's not their deal. The I, I thought the concept was interesting that now the Vulcans and the Romulans have to share a planet and they have to try to get along with each other. So, okay, that's cool. Mm-hmm. I, I can dig that. And what happens in the outcome, but to make 
Burnham be sort of the pivotal point for that? It it just didn't work as a plot point. And, you know, you and I were discussing this a little bit offline, and I completely agree. This whole thing about Discovery being sworn to secrecy and nobody can know that they're from the past, and now everybody knows that they're right. from the past. It's like, and everyone accepts it unquestioningly, right? Mm-hmm. She says, oh, yeah, I'm Spock's sister. And they're like, okay. Cool. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Great. That's that's amazing. And we just accept that and all of it. Uh, mm-hmm. I don't know. So that bothered me. I thought the whole Inquisition, I can't remember what it's called, whatever the Vulcan name that they gave for it, was sort of silly, where they just had to argue. And then when her mother showed up. Yeah. It's like, it was like really? Oh. Okay. Okay. Too many coincidences here. Now oh, I'm starting yeah. not to believe this um, too many shoes dropping <laughs> yes agreed. cover your heads <laughs> exactly yeah that was that was disappointing and that what she ends up doing in the end so from my understanding and maybe i got this wrong but they go into this so-called negotiation by saying we'll give you Federation will give Vulcan our information and you give us your information. And the Vulcans don't want to do that. Mm-hmm. And so the end, the compromise that she makes, that Burnham makes, is to say, okay, we'll give you our information and you don't have to give us anything. And then because it's such a selfless gesture, the president of Nivar decides to give her the information anyway. And I Well, thought, there was also that really stupid convoluted scene in between where her mother was saying you are not telling the truth oh, and it was so dumb <laughs> it was it was just ridiculous so then she had to go back to the council and more or less throw herself at the, their mercy with mm-hmm. her truth whatever it was i've already forgotten it but um <laughs> it was reminding me of this yeah. has appeared on the internet a couple times if i see it again i'm gonna post it but you've probably read it this thing about why do the Vulcans let the humans be in charge of everything? Uh-huh. And it's really funny because it starts out with, you know, Spock is going, do not do this, Captain. And Kirk's going, I'm going to do it. And it's pointing out that human beings are just like that. If you tell them, okay, don't mix these two things because it's, <laughs> it's horrible, terrible things will happen. And then, boom, something blows up. And they go, what happened? Well, we mixed those two things. We wanted to see what would happen. (laughs) Yes. And it gets really funny. And then they said, at the end, it says, Vulcans have a word for... or a word for the face you make when you finally realize why the word fuck exists. <laughs> and that's all I'm thinking is the, the Vulcans have finally learned their lesson. Don't <sighs> let the humans have this stuff. <laughs> oh, really? Oh, it, it was... Mm, I, I felt like there was so much potential that they could have gone with with this whole thing. And it, it just didn't pan out in a way that was satisfying at all Mm -hmm. and for me personally and maybe I'm the only one that feels this way but I feel like the writers do not know how to write Vulcans and this has been a problem throughout Trek and I felt like you know in TOS it was great the writing Mm -hmm. for all the Vulcans was amazing and in TNG pretty good Mm -hmm. Um, 
there was the doctor, Dr. Salar loved her. Um, there was, you know, Sarek and Spock when they would pop in and they mm-hmm. were well done. There weren't mm-hmm. too many Vulcans. DS9, there were some Vulcans, which they were great. I thought Tuvok was pretty well done for a Vulcan. I mm-hmm. put down a lot of that to Tim Russ because he's a good actor in that role. So generally pretty good. But here, it's like, do you guys not know how Vulcans talk? <laughs> do you not know what their whole attitude is? Mm-hmm. There was a part when the president, I can't remember her name, um, is talking to Burnham and she grabs her arm. Yes. And, and immediately I'm like, no, don't, no, that's not what Vulcans do. Even 900 years in the future, they're not going to go around touching people. That's not well, how they work. And yeah, a good good portion of the, the blame goes to the writers, but also these actors, I don't think had been coached in anything, but stand really still. Yes, yeah. And, because... Um, when they were disagreeing with each other, this did not sound like Vulcans having a discussion. No. It really sounded like, you know, a conference where people are trying to keep their tempers in check. Mm-hmm. And that yeah. should not really be hard for mature Vulcans. No, not at all. It was it, it was really, I, I just feel like they, they did not grasp what the essence of those characters, and granted, the other people in the conference there was one guy who was a Romulan and then there was another woman who I think was a was she Vulcan Romulan hybrid I couldn't quite remember but I can't remember th- there wasn't enough contrast they didn't stand out the no, the one the one I could Vulcan, not tell which one was the Romulan two minutes after they said this is the Romulan yeah it was just not well drawn and the only thing that I thought was really good and very Vulcan was when they go into the room and they're about to have this long discussion in order to exchange the information the one Vulcan guy says to Burnham um, basically listen we looked at your offer and we're not going to accept it. So let's just go home. <laughs> I was like, Oh, that's a very Vulcan thing to do. Okay. I like that. Like yeah, it's a, yeah. a good opening start. And then it just kind of went downhill from there. Yeah. So oh, I wanted it to be so much better and it wasn't. And it made me sad that it wasn't mm-hmm. better. And if Burnham doesn't stop whispering, I am going to go insane because <gasps> oh, I cannot God. hear what she's saying half the time. I know. Well, that's one of the reasons I have subtitles on. Oh, yeah, that's um, so, that's a bitch. Yeah, so who knows what's going to happen with them? You know, there was mm-hmm. some noise about them potentially opening up negotiations with the Federation again, which would be very interesting. Uh, mm-hmm. It was nice to see Leonard again. You know, that was kind of good. Yeah, but yeah. I I wish that they could do better writing for Vulcans if they're going to incorporate them back into the series in mm-hmm. any way. I think they need to do a better job with them and not just rely on. I don't know, memories or yeah, it's 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 almost a real fanficy view of what Vulcans are. I guess mm-hmm. that's what it is. It's it's not source material. It's like here's what I want Vulcans to be based on <sighs> yes. my memories of TOS and TNG, and mm-hmm. I, I just don't think that makes for very good drama. So. No. Mm. Yep. Yes, I agree. I, I am just I am disappointed. And I have a question. Mm. I've been meaning to bring this up and I kept forgetting. Okay, so uh, Burnham arrived one year before the discovery in the future. Yes. She's uh-huh. been there alone for a year. She hooked up with Book and they were together. So, you know, a year went by. Where in this year, when it looked like for what we saw, they were on 
devastated planets or one devastated planet the whole time and never encountered anybody, much of anybody else. Where did she find somebody to put in all her hair extensions and braid <laughs> them? I was wondering that myself. Good. I thought, because they did do a little montage that showed her hair getting longer. Mm-hmm. And I thought, okay, her hair's growing out. But then she ends up with these amazing, beautiful hair extensions that mm-hmm. are attached. And, and so I thought when they showed her that it was going to be saying, oh, my God, 10 years have passed. Right? <laughs> oh, I thought it was going to be like, oh, my God, a beauty salon. <laughs> like in The Wizard of Oz, you know. <laughs> yeah. Oh, it's not explained. Uh, I, and no one's hair grows that much in a year. Oh, oh, who knows? Maybe they went to the planet of the Ents. And she drank the Ent potion and it made her hair get longer and curlier Maybe or something. Maybe so. Possible. Um, I have a theory mm. about Giorgio. Oh, yeah? Um, and I have seen a couple theories posted online, but they sort of tie into the most recent episode. So I'm not going to bring them up, but mine is okay. general enough. Uh-huh. I believe she has been away from the Mirror Universe too long. Uh-huh. Or something happened in the mirror universe and she's feeling the reverberations. Okay. That's interesting. Mm, mm-hmm. Yep. Okay. I can see that. That makes sense to me. Like Especially they were the first saying, one. They were saying over time, the, the two universes have grown farther and farther apart. And maybe now that connection has finally broken. Yeah. And she might have felt that or, you know, mm-hmm. it might have done something to her. Yeah. Okay. That's, so, I, I like that theory. And yes, I think we're going to find out something big that happened. I, um, mm-hmm. Yes. Uh, I'm excited. She is such the most interesting character in the whole thing. Like, oh, I'm yeah. just wanting to find out more about what's going on with her. Mm-hmm. I really do like all the rest of the crew and everything, but she's so compelling. Yes. And, she you know, dominates she, every scene she's in, she which does. feeds right into the character she is. And she's just so funny. That's the other oh, yeah. thing is that she is by far the funniest character. Oh, I love her. She's great. Yep. Okay. So here I want to just finish up. Let me just do a little time check. Okay. We're okay. good. I'm okay. not going to spend too much time on this, but it was pointed out in an article, I think on StarTrek.com, that the name of the reunited planet in this is called Nivar and that is a Vulcan word that means two two pieces bringing together to become a whole like mm-hmm. you know more than the sum of its parts really and it was partly a nod to this term that had been the name of um, a fanzine a Star Trek fanzine back in the day which I thought was cool but also it's the name of the first story in the book Star Trek The New Voyages, which was the very first publication of new Star Trek stories published in 1976 by Paramount and edited by fanfic writers and populated with stories by fanfic writers. Yeah. And it's an amazing book. It's such a good book. So I got curious as to what that story was like. And so I fetched it off my shelf. And this afternoon I read the story, the Nevar story that's in here. 
Tell us the story. It's so interesting. I had forgotten that this was what happened in it. So Leonard Nimoy wrote a little introduction to it, and it's by a woman named Claire Gabriel. That's her real name. You can look her up on the internet. She's an English teacher. And she, of course, wrote lots of Star Trek fan fiction. And this story started out as a piece of fan fiction that she Mm -hmm. wrote. And then it got turned into this, which is in here. So this is basically... um, enemy within but Spock <laughs> right okay yeah I got and uh, he and Kirk go to a planet and there's a, a scientist and he's developing this way to separate hybrids into their two component parts so he's done it for his children who had or his child that had a physical problem and then turned out separating them into two children solved the illness and because he's a mad scientist, of course, he, <laughs> I was going like, to say, yep, yep. he's like, oh, Spock, just the guy I wanted. I'm going to pull you into two people. And he does. So the two Spocks go back to the Enterprise. It's a human Spock and a Vulcan Spock. And they try to hide it from Kirk. But of course, Kirk immediately knows what's up. And the whole story is just Kirk finding out about it and figuring out what to do and sort of keeping McCoy at bay so he doesn't find out but he does eventually wow. spoiler it's all fine in the end oh of and course Spock, Spock gets reintegrated so it is such a fanfic story because nothing happens right it's, it's <laughs> there's a little plot thing that kicks it off but the whole story is about Kirk and Spock mm-hmm. and it's got so much chaos overtones to it it's incredible and I cannot believe that they published this <laughs> Like you read, I, I let me find it. Um, there's a lot. What we were just talking about, where Kirk's like, "Oh, poor Spock. He seems so upset. I should put my hand on his shoulder. Oh no, but wait, Vulcans don't like to be touched. But I'm gonna do it anyway." And then it turns out <laughs> that's the thing that Spock really wants is for Kirk to touch him. And it's like, okay, okay. Now was um, this um this uh this book? Uh-huh. Did it was it? pre-slash pre-KS? No, it was very much in KS because it was 1976 and people had been publishing okay, okay. In, in fanzines they'd been publishing yeah. KS but it was before um, the other novels that were much more overtly KS mm-hmm. stuff. Um, look, I'm just trying to find this one paragraph because it was so incredibly erotic in that fanficy way that they used to do. Um Let's see here. Let me read. Let me just read this a little bit. Okay. This is great. And it's very well written. I have to say everything in here is great. Um, Let's see. So part of what is established is that Kirk is able to telepathically communicate with both the human Spock and the Vulcan Spock because, (laughs) yeah, they have such uh, great stuff. So um, let's see. Spock is thinking. And, and so the human Spock is called the human, and then the other one is called the Vulcan. Uh, so he, so he they're would, not Spa and Ock? They're not. It, it, and they're not one and two or thing and other thing or anything <laughs> like that. Okay. Yeah. Uh, he was remembering other things as he knew that his altar was remembering, altar meaning the Vulcan's Spock. Yes. For their memories were one. Glimpses, fragmentary insights that had troubled the entire Spock since he had first lived among humans, fascinating creatures, appallingly enslaved by their passions. And yet, now and then, a brief insight that he could not forget. And Spock would think, very briefly, 
can this be completely wrong, this feeling? Very briefly, until he met Jim Kirk. Here was a man Spock admired above all others, a man for whom he felt friendship and perhaps even what humans call love. Why, he had asked himself a hundred times, in secret. Why? Here was a man who could feel emotions unashamed and did. Yet Spock trusted him with his life, with the lives of all the crew, had fought beside him many times, would choose to serve beside him before he would choose even a Vulcan commander. Why, he had asked, can it be that I trust him bec more because he feels? Both Spocks had shared these thoughts, thoughts leading nowhere except to an ominous unsteadiness in the very foundation of Spock's Vulcan creed of non-emotion. The human Spock could not know with complete certainty what his Vulcan altar was thinking, but he sensed that each, seeing his own doubts reflected in the other, had brought them to a new self-knowledge that, if it yielded no answers, at least yielded questions. And it was Spock's Vulcan father who had taught him that the path to any truth begins with not with answers, but with questions. And I read that and I was like, wow, that's amazing. That just kind of gets at the whole KS thing right oh, there. Oh, right? yes, like, yes. That's, that's the whole thing. Like the sex stuff aside, that's the whole reason that KS exists is because, you know, Kirk can't help but be concerned about Spock and, and want to, you know, have be make him be more human. And Spock is like just so fascinated with Kirk as a person who has emotions and mm -hmm. yet commands respect and everything. And, and just, I can't believe they published that. So, <laughs> uh, they did. It's it's well worth reading. You know, I think they've republished this book. Mine is an original copy, amazingly enough. Mm -hmm. um, and it costs $1.75 from Bantam Books back in the day. But it is worth reading this book. It really is because the writing is good. Some of the stories are really funny. Um, and it ends with this book. And it's great that it's the last book called The Mind Sifter. And I remember when I read this story for the first time, I really got what fan fiction was about. Like I, I was in 1976, how old was I? You know, I was in my teens and reading this was, it just blew my mind. Like, oh my God, you can write stories about Star Trek characters and basically have it be a reflection of your deepest desires that you yeah. would like to be in a story with a Star Trek character. Um, so do you remember this story, the Mind Sifter story? Um, okay. Is that the one where Kurt goes back to our time? Yes. And meets this, I think she's a nurse? Yes. Yes. I remember so, it. So this story. I think of it as the Mary Sue story. I, it is a Mind Mary Sue sifter. Story. Mary yes. Sue. Yes. It's got it the right initials. It absolutely is. Uh, it is probably, I would say, one of the best examples of a hurt comfort story. So oh, that's a genre yeah. of, of fan fiction that is very popular and well-known. Mm -hmm. And this particular story is amazingly done. It's it's so it's so good and it really hits that like sweet spot i don't even know it, it's it's like biting into a crisp apple it's just it's so satisfying in this completely indulgent way is it as good as a carrot i, I don't know maybe not a carrot okay but it it totally <laughs> revels. It revels. That's what I'm trying to say. I'm mm, build here. Yes. It revels in that desire to be part of a story and to be the one, the Mary Sue, that takes care of the the character that you love the most and that you help him 
get back to what he should be. Mm-hmm. And yet, even while you're taking care of him, you see his specialness and he falls in love with you. Of course. And, you know, you know, you are the one who like cleans him up and you put him in nice clothes. And, and now he's all handsome and he's looking at you with his beautiful lion eyes and all that <laughs> stuff. And it's, it's just great. It's just a great, great story. It's pretty well written, too. Mm-hmm. Um, you just brought up a, a really interesting point when you said revel in it. And it, it, it made me think that, yes, there is so much joy in fanfic. Even when you're writing her comfort or stories where horrible, horrible things happen, there is the joy of being with these characters. Yes. Yes. In a way, they're they're occupying your mind. You can see the whole thing. You can hear the voices. Uh huh. Yes, it's incredible. So the woman who wrote it, Shirley Miyoski, uh, who's uh, a, a very well known fanfic writer, you know, she's good. She captures everyone's voices incredibly well, and the way she set it up is is like I said, it it's just exactly what you want. Kirk had been captured by Klingons. They used the mind sifter on him, so he's slightly crazed they send him back in time god knows why and he ends up in a mental institution in the united states in the 60s i think um and this uh nurse is the only one who's really taking care of him so you've got jim kirk isolated kind of out of his mind and there's only one person who's being nice to him and who takes care of him and she's got him all to herself because nobody else gives a shit it's the Miramani story it it is it really really is and Mm -hmm. and she sort of nurses him back to health and in the end uh, through reasons Spock and McCoy come and they grab him and they make him better and also Spock um, mind melds with her and sort of removes he makes her forget Oh. Not that that Kirk existed, but that she was in love with him and he was Stop in love with her. such a Budinsky. He is. And memories. also this, this stuff about them, you know, being from the future mm-hmm. and all that. He takes that out of her memory, even though she pleads to go back with them. But it is it, it is an amazing book. And it's just, you know, the, the, the two of them sharing nice moments and falling mm-hmm. in love and walking by the 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 pond and just every it's literally what kirk wants right like mm-hmm. when he says that no no walking on beaches that's what he gets right right yeah he gets to be there uh, so it's an amazing story and again can't believe that they were publishing this kind of fan fiction back in 76 <laughs> but here it is here it is uh, uh, so if you've read that story or any of the stories in this book i would love to know you guys what you think about it because Mm -hmm. i just don't think that this book gets talked about enough in terms of what it did like proving that that fan fiction was good and publishable and not like somebody's shameful hobby and making it okay for people to publish new trek fiction you know this was the first one well also you said what, 76? 70? Yeah. Okay. Um, at that time, fan fiction, Star Trek and especially KS, was a closed club. Yes. And uh, no, you might have even heard of it, maybe, but you had no idea how to get it, who mm-hmm. to ask. Yeah. You, you had to more or less be invited into the fandom. Mm-hmm. That's right. And so suddenly here was a book that everybody could 
buy at you know their local bookstore and like you said it showed you oh wow you can do this you can write these things and i remember my first i i didn't that did not motivate me to write it it didn't motivate me to even think about it that much but when i encountered first encountered fan fiction on the internet i hadn't even finished the first story and i was like I want to write this stuff mm-hmm. because it was this incredible outlet. Yeah, yeah, for real. I think when I read this, I was too young to to really understand that I could do it too. Mm. It was it was more the discovery that it existed that blew my little mind. Right. At the time. Yes. And then you know uh, it led me to to other things, but uh, this was definitely a, a very formative book for me in terms of. Star Trek and fan fiction and just everything that's come out of it, including this podcast. Yes! <laughs> Yay! <laughs> oh, it's great. It is. Here, Star Trek, The New Voyages. This is the back cover blurb. Amazing, never-before-published stories of the Golden Age, a shining, living legend of heroes, of great quests, of loves gained and lost, of steadfast courage and splendid deeds. A must-book for all fans. And I agree with that. Well... Yes, indeed. Now, yeah. does that have the short story in it? Short, that I believe is by um, Marshak and Culbreth, where they go through a, a machine that changes their sex. Oh, good question. Uh... And the the Klingon keeps calling Kirk Miss Kirk, you know, with this real emphasis, like, oh my God, could it be anything be worse than to be a woman? I don't think that's in this. Book. It's in some collection of Star it is. Trek you're stories. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're, yeah. you're right. I think uh, there was another book that came out after this, um, and I can't remember what it's called. Is it more New Voyages or something? But um, I think it's in that one, but not in this one. The interesting thing is there is a certain caveat to this machine having to do with X and Y chromosomes, and you have to have one person who goes through and nothing happens to them, but this whole crew mm. wants to go through and get back to what they were. And finally, one guy says one guy says i am happier this way Mm. so he solves the problem but it's like wow really where no man has gone before as far as what's coming out in you know published stuff that teenagers were buying yeah wow i have to read that story again i gotta go through all my my trek books and see what else i have yeah this was certainly delightful to read this. And, you know, it ends, this book ends with a poem, uh, which <gasps> I think was like a requirement for all Star Trek fanzines at that time. They always had poetry. In I it. remember this poem. Yeah. Would you like me to read it? Yes, I would. <laughs> okay. It's called Sonnet from the Vulcan, Omicron Seti Three, by Shirley Meach. And it rhymes. I thought the memory of you was gone. I thought it buried underneath the years. But now it rises, bright as the Vulcan dawn, and I remember you and earth and tears. Your tears were falling like the rains of earth. You were the storms and roses of earth's spring. You could not know that. Almost from my birth, the rites of Vulcan bound me to, to praying. I could not break those ties. I had no choice. Returned to space, left you and earth behind. But still, I heard the echo of your voice, found rain and wind and roses in my mind. You told me that you loved me, and you cried. I said I had no feelings, and I lied.
That's the poem. That's the poem. Yeah. Kind of gets you. It does. Right here. Right here. (laughs) (laughs) Oh. Oh, my goodness. Well, that was a lot of fun. Um, Thank you so much for digging out your copy of that book. I do not believe I have mine anymore. It, it is not available as an ebook. I looked. Mm, um, they okay. have not converted it, so someone's going to have to scan it and put up a PDF. But anyway, well, folks, okay, we've run way over, so we got to wrap this up. That's um, right. This was super fun, and I'm glad we got to talk about all these things. Let us know what you think about like discovery ongoing, and whether you've read stories in New Voyages. And um, on our next show, we're going to do a little Christmas gift. So, what are you getting for Christmas? Anybody buying the horrible Hallmark ornaments? Let us know. Yeah. Um, and don't forget your homework, the Star yes. Trek nativity scene. Yes, very important. Yes. We want to have And, that you know, put your own spin on it. You don't have to do the characters the way we were suggesting, suggesting mm-hmm. but we really want to see it. <laughs> yeah, do it the way you want. And maybe we should try to dig out um, the picture of Big Cardboard Kirk with the Christmas decorations on him and post that on the Facebook group. Oh, yeah. Oh, my God. That's from a long time ago. That is from a very long time ago. Okay. Yeah, Yeah, we'll find that. It'll be good. You're right. right. Yeah, the next one will be our Christmas show. It will. So looking forward to it. Yes, and I have a present here waiting for me to open. You have a present there waiting for you to open. Yes. Hooray. So take care of yourself, everyone. Uh, you know, wash your hands, wear your masks, be safe and all that. Mm-hmm. And do sign up for Bill's next GalaxyCon thing. You will you will not regret it. Yeah, we don't know when the next one is, do we? Probably in January? They haven't announced it yet, yeah. but I'm sure it'll be in January, just like the others. Okay. So, all right. Well, uh, thank you for listening, everyone. We love you so much. And until we meet again, live long and potluck. You betcha. Mm-hmm.